it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, sorry to miss you yesterday. I had a uh, doing a shoot. Just know, most times when I'm off, I'm not actually off. I was doing a shoot that I think you're going to love on Saturday on One Nation. We'll bring it here to the radio show unedited. Uh, it's Elvis week next week, 45 years since his death. And, of course, the movie is a runaway blockbuster bestseller, uh, bestseller, box office smash. And there's new interest. So I thought I'd go down to Memphis and see what everything's like. And guess what everybody's talking about? If it's not about Elvis and having fun, crime. Same thing in New York City where we are. Crime. Uh, number one issue. But that's not all, which brings us to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They say the difference, definition of insanity is to do the same thing repeatedly but expect different results. Our criminal justice system is insane. Uh, that is Mayor Eric Adams. Insanity is right. New York City reveals what we know to be the hard and violent facts. The same people committing all the crimes are causing massive dangers and personal destruction in cities big and small. I'm talking about, you're not going to believe this, what 10 people are able to do, commit 500 crimes. Why don't we arrest them and keep them in jail? Number two. This raises taxes. It increases the burden of taxation on lower-income people significantly. <laughs> Calling an inflation reduction bill is rather laughable. Mansion, Schumer, climate bill, not done yet. It is not, I don't even want to say it. Inflation reduction bill. The holdout center cinema. What does she want? We'll tell you about that. The clock is ticking right before recess. We're also following the breaking news from Capitol Hill on the CBO and what the CBO scoring says. Number one. I think you're going to see China launch rockets over Taiwan. And I think part of this is messaging, but I think part of it is to make a sense, send a very clear signal to leaders in Taiwan and to military leaders in Taiwan. And that is uh, if we decide to take you by force, you won't be able to stop us. Uh, let the exercises begin. Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan came and went. China is incensed and has promised a response is beginning with a shooting around and perhaps over the island of Taiwan. As much as I support her going, I just wonder if anyone thought this through, anyone at all. Look, China's overreacting and it's been speculated by Kevin McCarthy, who was with me on television this morning, that part of the overreacting was due to... Uh, President Xi and China having huge economic problems, being a million people shut down in Wuhan in a matter of days. They cannot shake the pandemic that they started. And young people are, are, are a lot of them are unemployed. Not sure what happened. A lot of it was the pullback on capitalistic principles and the crank to, crackdown on people like Jack Ma and Alibaba. So having said that, they also have a housing problem. So if you have a housing problem, if you have economic issues, if you're worried about getting your lifetime term in any society, in any government, what you do is create an enemy. Maybe this is opportunistic, and that's fine. I am not making excuses. Our speaker, our delegation should be able to go anytime, anywhere to Taiwan. My goodness, Mike Pompeo was just there. They also had congressmen and women there. We got soldiers on the ground training Taiwanese 
uh, to use some of the electronic uh, weaponry that we've sold them, also on the ground training them to fight off a would-be invasion. They've got 23 million people. That's, no, that's bigger than Hungary. So having said all that, I just wonder if you know all this is happening and you have intelligence to show that China could be reacting like this, is anyone on the same page saying this is our strategy at stake in nuclear war? I never think, you know, I never think we should back off. So Pelosi lands, she's out. Now, South Korea, where she is right now, and she's going to go to the DMZ uh, line, fine. Their president doesn't want to meet with her. They're afraid, reportedly afraid of it getting China mad. That, that worries me, that South Korea is worried about taking this third-ranking person to meeting with the third-ranking person in the U.S., it shows you they're not too secure that we'll watch their back, even though we have a missile defense system there at the very least in about twenty-five to 35,000 soldiers. So China is now surrounding the island, exercises within 12 miles of their shore. The Sea of Japan evidently got an errant missile that hit right by their coast. Obviously, they're going to make mistakes. In all exercises, they're there. They are drills. They are practice. They are built to make mistakes. Here's Pelosi on the ground. Cut one. I think it's important to remind some uh, and inform others of how we are here. Forty-three years ago, with the Taiwan Relations Act, America made a bedrock promise to always stand with Taiwan. And on this strong foundation, we have built a thriving partnership. Today, our delegation, of which I'm very proud, came to Taiwan to make unequivocally clear we will not abandon our commitment to Taiwan and we are proud of our enduring friendship. Uh, Good. I got it. But the Pentagon has to scramble resources to defend. Now we see military exercises, so a whole uh, aircraft carrier group has got to stay in town, cost us millions. The speaker's entitled to do all this, but the White House not on board with this from the same party. It's insane. As Lindsey Graham told us on our show two days ago, to say it's the Keystone Cops would be an insult to the Keystone Cops. If I could quote President Biden, no joke, Jack. Thomas Friedman thinks the whole thing. He's a liberal editor, uh, uh, a liberal columnist for The New York Times who has tremendous influence with Biden. Cut five. Right now is the time to have good relations with China, open dialogue, and not doing anything to provoke them because eyes on the prize. The prize is Ukraine pushing Russia out of out of Ukraine. And for that, China is helping us. I wouldn't be poking the bear right now. They're not helping us. That's a mis- That's a misstatement. They are not selling them weaponry. They are buying their oil. That, and uh, an example of this is Iran is selling or give, selling Russia drones. Everybody knows China makes most of the drones. It would have been easier for China to sell it to them, but they're not. So that helps. But you never go easy on China. They're our number one enemy. I understand controlling Russia. I am fully on board with Ukrainian being successful and bleeding Russia dry. Here's Senator Tom Cotton, cut nine. Letting China buy up our farmland or our food companies is a massive strategic mistake. Look, the simple facts are this. China cannot feed itself. The United States can not only feed our own citizen, but feed much of the world thanks to the productivity of our farmers and our ranchers. Why would we ever want to surrender that huge strategic advantage to China? 
And uh, Tom Cotton was talking about the buying of huge tracts of land in Oklahoma, uh, in South Dakota, and with some little bit around our military bases. And so is Bill Gates. What is Bill Gates doing? I have no answer to it. I'm just putting it out there. There's a huge risk. Uh, I was just talking to Marco Rubio on TV, too. He is very concerned about this. Marco Rubio had a very good statement. He said, you know, you may think America is fractured, but when it comes to things like this, we're 100 percent on the same page. I love that message. I think we need to hear it more. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks is coming next. I'm going to have him expand on that uh, shortly. I also want to talk about the Inflation Reduction Bill, which is anything but. Uh, Joe Manchin, who I have a lot of respect for, has signed off on all this climate crap in order to get pipelines built and permitting process eased when it comes to fossil fuels. He also says it's going to reduce the deficit. I'm not going to get into detail yet, but the CBO just did a look at it. And even though they list they're going to take $300 billion over 10 years off the deficit, it's really $100 billion. How many other math problems are wrong? And how concerned are you that they're going to put $85 billion to, put, to hire thousands more IRS agents? You think they're just going after billionaires? Not a chance. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think all of us were somewhat shocked by Senator Manchin's reversal of positions he had taken as recently as last week against raising taxes. This raises taxes. It increases the burden of taxation on lower-income people significantly. The calling an inflation reduction bill is rather laughable. Independent analysis indicates it actually increases inflation in the next two years and, and may have an impact over 10 years. And uh, their policies from last year have already produced 40-year high inflation. So it, it's a terrible package. Um, it appears as if they're all in line, but one, and it'll be up to Senator Sinema from Arizona, who's quite independent, to determine what the final contours of the bill are. And that her problem is she wants more of green money for water distribution because that's what Arizona is suffering from, and she wants to get rid of the 
uh, carried in. She wants to make sure carried interest remains and it doesn't get eliminated. Congressman Jim Bank joins us now. Of course, this is Senate issues, but it, it revolves around our country. He's on the House Armed, Armed, House Armed Services Committee, ranking member, subcommittee on cyber and chairman of the Republican Study Group. Congressman, welcome back. Your thoughts about what happened last week and if something's going to get passed this week on the Manchin-Schumer bill. Yeah, Brian, good to be with you. You know, we always prop uh, Manchin up on a pedestal, but he always ends up doing the wrong thing. And this is another example of that. I mean, here's a case where he's completely flip-flopped back and forth on this massive reconciliation. But at the same time, keep in mind that we are in the first recession in American history that's been directly caused by excessive government spending, all at the hands of, of the Democrats in control of Congress and President Joe Biden, their solution is to spend more and tax more to get us out of inflation when every uh, high school economics or college economics textbook would tell you that the result of that will be more inflation. So uh, I'm skeptical that uh, at this point that they're going to pass the uh, so-called uh, reconciliation or whatever whatever they're calling it uh, today, Bill, um, uh, soon enough that the House will go back into session next week like, like was previously rumored. Uh, but, you know, who, who knows with these senators at the end of the day, you're right. Cinema, if it all depends on cinema, she wants to spend more, not less. And I imagine uh, if uh, the way things are going, she'll get her way. You know, the Affordable Care Act, I thought there was that was a push when on the title. It would later be known as Obamacare. But to say this is inflation reduction, there's almost under no circumstances this reduces inflation and at least call it the climate bill. And then we'd say, okay, uh, they found the Democrats found a way to pass a climate bill, but it's totally mislabeled. Do you worry there's a, the American people not who don't do this for a living like you or I are going to be duped by that title? Well, I don't think so, and I, I think November is going to be the result of that. I mean, the American people aren't stupid; they're paying attention. They know that they're suffering, especially the the working men and women of this country who who uh, go to work every day and, and uh, put in a good day's work and realize that they're doing um, they're, they're doing much more poorly under Democrat control than what they were just a couple of years ago when Donald Trump was in the White House. So the American people, get they get that part of it. But you're right, the Democrats are really good at slapping titles on these bills that uh, you know, it should be, it should be uh, criminal to get away with what they get away with when they put uh, names, whether it's tough on China bills that are actually helping China or inflation reduction bills that actually drive up inflation. You talked about the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act that actually made health care more expensive and less accessible for the American people. I think by this point, the American people have caught on, and that's why they're desperate for a change in leadership. They, they know that what these Democrats are selling isn't working and is making it, making it harder for the American people. I'm sure you know, and following everything to do with China, it looks like Taiwan's been surrounded by uh, on every side by China as they're having military exercises to send a message never to accept, I guess, Nancy Pelosi or a high-ranking uh, American official there again. Is that the message? They get as close as 12 miles from the island. Uh, one of the rockets landed in the Sea of Japan, uh, and there's an exclusive. We have some sources that say there's a fear that China could invade Taiwan and try to take it within 18 months. What are you hearing? What is your take on the trip? Well, I, I, uh, I support uh, Speaker Pelosi going to Taiwan to show, a, a, of America, to show America's support for the sovereignty of Taiwan, for their people, uh, not to be deterred by 
the bullies in China. But the, the biggest problem here is that China recognizes that we have the weakest commander in chief in the White House that we've ever had before. And, and as a projection of that weakness, you had Joe Biden uh, uh, threatening Nancy Pelosi not to go in the first place and drawing more attention to the visit and, and drawing more attention to American weakness on the world stage. So uh, this, the fact of the matter is they know they have a window of time with a weak American president to invade Taiwan. And just like Russia invading Ukraine, they know that the, the time is running out, that they need to act, that they, that, right. that, uh, that weakness is only going to last for a small period of time before we replace Joe Biden with a stronger American president and commander in chief. But we, we have to protect Taiwan. We have to show that, show our support for Taiwan. And uh, we need to follow closely the activities that are occurring at this moment. Um, I, right. I, I wish I had more faith in this commander in chief to act out and, and show strength. But at this point, I don't. Uh, the stunning news yesterday, Congresswoman and GOP Congresswoman, I should add, Jackie Walorski has uh, passed away, killed in a head on collision with another car. That other driver got into her lane, killed her and two other staffers. Your reaction um, to somebody, you, one of your colleagues. Yeah, a very close colleague. Our, our districts are right next to each other, and uh, she, uh, Jackie was a, a dear friend, a, a mentor in many ways in the Congress, a, a great person, a great uh, colleague, um, a very passionate I mean, she, she, person. She was very, a giant on the House floor uh, and, and uh, speaking out for the unborn, uh, fighting for our veterans, uh, 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 children, uh, disadvantaged children around the country. She was a missionary in Romania. She served in the Indiana State House, as I did, and then has served in Congress for the last uh, over eight years. So uh, a tremendous uh, example of public service. I'm going to miss her uh, dearly. And um, the, the two uh, staffers who were killed in that accident as well were close to my staffers as, as our districts uh, worked closely together and shared a number of communities. So a big, a big loss for our country, for my state, and uh, a, a friend who I'm going to miss dearly when we go back to Washington in a few weeks, it just won't be the same. So on another note, when you go back to Washington, you've already written a letter, written a member uh, as the ranking member of the Republican Study Committee uh, to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, wants to know if he's using tax dollars to spread the word of atheism around the globe to disadvantaged places in Central and South Asia, the Middle East and North Africa. Are we allocating dollars to make sure that atheists' rights are protected? Yeah, this is crazy. I mean, fi- up to $500,000 grants that the State Department is awarding to uh, organizations to spread atheism in, uh, in parts of the world where they have Muslim populations, Catholic populations, and America is funding uh, efforts to spread atheism. So we sent a letter to Secretary Blinken to demand answers about who was who's benefiting from this, who are these organizations that are receiving these grants, what's the, the process that they're going through to be awarded the grant. Of course, there's been complete silence from the Biden administration about this as they don't want to draw attention to another yet another example of them spreading radical their radical wokeism, not just at home, but around the world as well. So uh, just another example of how uh, how radical out of touch this administration is. And and uh, another example of their hypocrisy, too, Brian, if you could can you imagine Secretary Pompeo and Trump administration awarding grants to spread Christianity throughout the world and what the left would do to uh, uh, go after uh, the Trump administration if they would have done that. Yet here they are spreading uh, atheism and and, uh, defending atheism in 
in uh, parts of Africa and, and other countries, well, too. Just hopefully you get that. They better respond. I mean, they, you, you have a prestigious title. you got a lot of power, and they better at least explain themselves. Congressman Banks, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. That's another reason to put Republicans back in power. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade we're now seeing 50 days into what remains the fastest decline in gas prices in over a decade gas prices are now down 86 cents a gallon from their june peak saving american families with two cars on average over 90 dollars a month on gas and drivers can now find gas for the for the for less than 399 399 a gallon at more than half of all gas stations across the country. Time to rejoice. Gas is down in some places $3.99. Is she clueless? Do they understand that for the most part, gas has doubled for when, when you took over the country and it was as high as five historic highs we never thought we'd see, period? So now they're saying, look at how, look what we've done. So I guess Vladimir Putin, thanks, because you jacked up the price before. Thanks for lessening it. Wait, the war's still going on. The oil is still the same, but the price per barrel has dropped. Thanks, Vladimir Putin, for doing that. Carly Shimkus is here with more. How much did you pay for your barrel of oil? Uh, Well, uh, luckily for everybody on the streets everywhere, I haven't driven in 10 years. Oh, you haven't? And when I was driving, I wasn't good at it. Right. So for everybody's safety, keep me off the road. (laughs) I mean, I I cannot believe you're an adult and said that. What do you mean? Because I, I, I drive every day. I mean, most people listening to us right now drive every day. Well, yeah, it's because I live in New York City. It's a fake town. They, n- no one lives like this outside of people in New York City. Wait, so you really But if you the have city. a car in New York City, you have to be a bazillionaire because um, parking costs as much as rent. Right. Yeah, so parking in some parking garage is like $4,000 a month. Can you believe that? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess there's no reason for you to have a car. Right, exactly. That's hey, I use my feet. But if you live in the suburbs, you have to have a car. Yes. Nature's wheels. (laughs) So what do you think about that? I mean, Um, well, the reason gas prices are down is not is not good for the Biden administration. It's over inflation fears. But that's not something that obviously they want to address. But yeah, price per oil, price per per barrel of oil is down, not because of releasing um, oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve or anything that President Biden is doing. It's just because the economy is in such disarray uh, that people are pulling back. And and um, and yeah, the uh, the price per gallon is down because of that. Um, and then there was that announcement from OPEC Plus yesterday, and they said that they were going to only release a hundred thousand barrels more per uh, week. So we got no, that's almost nothing. Well, that no, it really literally is in effect nothing. That that absolutely affects. So it shows nothing. the re- no reason for the trip. But yeah, that was I, that's exactly right. So that is the outcome of President Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia. I wonder if they actually did that as like kind of a. Screw you to Biden. Absolutely. Yeah, right? I mean, everything. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll up the ante a little bit, but that means nothing. Well, think about this. Israel came out and said, we have a difference. You think you can talk and negotiate with Iran. We know you can't. Right. And number two is when said one thing we got was there's now flights from Israel to Saudi Arabia. says, no, we were doing that. I know. And Saudi Arabia goes, yeah, we were doing that. And by the way, Abraham Accords would have been on a glide path. Should be mentioned every other word. Right. Should be Abraham Accords. Instead, they try to do a descriptor yeah. 
rather than just use the title. And they said, well, we got a truce with Yemen and Saudi Arabia. No, you didn't. There's no truce. So lastly on this. I want you to hear what Amos Hogstein said because you were saying to me before, what I, did Amos Hogstein? Yeah, every day I wake up and say What that. is the best thing about him? He, um, his, uh, first name? His cologne. Thank you. I don't, know. I, never, I don't know. The prices start going up as soon as Putin starts uh, intervening but in the energy market in Europe. No, no, they actually weren't. Uh, sure they, they were. They were going up. They were going... No, that's just factually not true. They, the main increase in prices uh, was as the... Uh, Putin was starting to intervene in the markets in the uh, early fall of, uh, of last year and then long before the invasion, but when he started intervening in the markets by increasing the security premiums, uh, those went up. Is he Amos, money? man. Right. I was, I was in your corner before I heard you say that. That's the most infuriating thing I, I've heard in a while. Everybody knows that gas prices were up bef- before uh, this springtime yeah. when uh, Russia but, decided to invade. But he's Ukraine. not saying because they welled up troops they went up. They were going up before that. Uh, they were welling up troops before they were doing exercises. But they said we had to give money towards the security. That's the problem. I don't, I don't understand what he's talking yeah. about. Yeah, no, it's well, everybody knows the reason gas prices are up is you know, because there's such uncertainty in the the oil industry because of things like the Keystone and the, et cetera, et cetera. You are wrong because Amos was speaking even further. He had more to say. Oh. Cut 18. Now, why are they going down if the war is still raging is a great question. And the answer is because we've actually taken a lot of actions, different actions in order to bring those prices down. Unfortunately, we live in a in an era where we want to have instant gratification, that when you take an action, you see the reaction immediately. Sometimes it takes time in the market. And all these actions put together uh, are having that impact. We want them to, be, to go further, but there's no doubt that the actions we've taken are part of the reason these prices are coming down. Now I get it. Um, yeah. He's going to say strategic you... over reform, by the way, the jeopardize our security. Right. In a year and a half, we'll be out. I know. Um, the other thing uh, is what Karine Jean-Pierre said about gas prices. I, I, I actually didn't hear the clip that you were playing into the segment. Well, we, but we did. That was the same clip. No. Well, did is it the one where she said that the um, gas prices started to decrease when President Biden announced his trip to Saudi yes. Arabia? <laughs> what? It, it's that, crazy. I mean, it's just like they're just like throwing darts at a wall and going, oh, that'll be the uh, excuse that we give this time. Yeah, we'll say that. Uh, it is. It is crazy. All right, so uh, that's what we're dealing now with the economy. And what about making heads or tails at about what Joe Manchin mm. has done and his plan? So first off, what, do you subscribe to the thought that Mitch McConnell was outmaneuvered on this? Uh, Mitch McConnell was outmaneuvered on this? Because they worked behind the scenes after they did the chips bill and the oh, Republicans already uh, waited. Well, I can on see it. where uh, Mitch McConnell would be very angry that this is uh, this could go through, but I, I don't know if it will because Kirsten Cinema is still a bit of a holdout, um, and it would really stink to be in her position right now because no matter what she does, half the country is going to think you're awful. I guess she should care more about what her constituents think, and and that's why she said um, that she wants two things. She wants to get rid of the what is it the tax one of the tax loopholes. Um, what's it called? The no, no, uh, I, uh, the do, 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 I have do, it. So do I. The, the carried, the carried interest, interest rate. Yeah, that that helps companies invest, but some people think it just helps rich people directly. She wants to get rid of that. Also, she wants um, drought protection for a state, five billion. So I don't know. I mean, that those are very small asks for something that could give uh, Democrats a 
a much-needed positive news cycle. Uh, so I have a feeling that this is something that is going to go through. We'll wait and see. When I was at the congressional baseball game, a lot of Republicans that I were talking to were saying some inter- interesting things about uh, cinema versus mansion, and they said that um, cinema cares much less about what people think about her, um, and mansion's just more of like your standard politician. So they were thinking that she might hold out on it, although I would argue that that's not true. I mean, Manchin has stood in the way of a lot of things. I know. He seems to have a pretty tough spine. Right. I'm not going to forget that there's a reason why D.C. is not a state. Oh, Puerto yeah. Rico is not a state. And, uh, there's the a filibuster. Reason, the filibuster is still around, and they didn't pack the court. And he's so, so I think that you can't run away from that. And the fact is it was going to be $4 trillion. So what they did is he got some fossil fuel things in there on permitting, and he got his pipeline done. But it's an interesting thing that was brought up, and I'm going to also – Joe Manchin weighed in and says we're totally wrong to say this raises taxes, although there's two separate uh, yeah. groups that have said that it will absolutely raise taxes to the tune of $16.7 billion for people who make under 200000 mm-hmm. and $14.1 billion for people who make between two hundred and five hundred thousand. and 500000 So I thought this was interesting. If you are a senator from, let's say, Montana and a blue senator, like you have a red state like Arizona or perceived red state – if you are in a red state and a Democrat like you are with West Virginia, you have leverage. So John Tester's in a red state like Montana. And Steve Daines's uh, spokesperson said, it seems Manchin went back on his word to move forward with the Build Back Better plan. He got a pledge to finish a pipeline right. in his state. She said, putting your feelings aside, quid pro quo, you got to ask yourself. Why Montana's senior senator didn't try and make a similar deal with the Keystone XL pipeline. That's a great point. Because it goes right through. It would have been jobs instantly. People say that's legitimate. And guess what? It would have helped if I could do the Joe Biden. It would have helped Joe Biden. Because <laughs> do it. it would have looked like he was doing something yeah. for Republicans in order to get them more involved yeah. and made it harder for Republicans to resist Although this. that was an executive order. So I don't know if um, any senator could have stopped Biden signing an executive Which, order. It's interesting because if you put that in the bill, he could refuse to sign the bill. Oh, yeah. Well, that, and, then yeah you, and go ahead. You, you want to keep your executive order, yeah. go keep yeah. it. So so uh, that that's one thing. So cinema goes, well, I got a pretty dry state. I got a water issue. Put the water issue I in. Know. So if I'm Senator Warner, evidently he's in a, he's a moderate, people say. Okay. Uh, Senator Kelly came in as a moderate. Where where's where are they where are they doing their mansion? I know. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and then when it comes to the, uh, t- I think, well, first of all, I think a lot of that is fear. Um, exactly why people are saying now that Kirsten Cinema doesn't care what people think about her. Because you don't want to be the one person on Lonely Island when your whole entire caucus is saying, how dare you not sign this? They That's chase why you into the bathroom. Sticks- yeah, they chase you into the bathroom. They chase you on your, your houseboat or whatever uh, mansion has. Nobody wants to be in that position. So you kind of just go along with the, the rest of the group. Um, it's just sort of human nature. On the um, tax increase front, I feel like what this like the the joint committee on taxation when they said that it would increase taxes i think that they're talking about indirect taxes right that's going to be an indirect tax because what it would do was it would get rid of the 15% it would get rid of it would uh, have a minimum tax for companies of 15% some companies can get around that so what you, you, those companies aren't just going to pay that. They're going to make things more expensive. So that's, I believe, mm. where that price increase comes I'm not from. a tax attorney. But a lot of times what people say is, what gets me a deduction? I'm going to give it to charity. What gets me a deduction? Uh, let's say my state gives me an incentive to build on to my place right. or to get a big. So what happens is a lot, of these, uh, a lot of these corporations come to the end of the year and they say, you know what? 
I'm going to expand. Yeah. I'm going to invest. Oh, the other thing. I'm going to purchase. The other thing, Brian, about this bill that just drives me up a wall is this $7,500 tax incentive This uh, uh, to get an electric vehicle. You get a, a tax break for or uh, seven thousand five hundred dollars to get a to get an electric vehicle, which obviously they, they want everybody to buy an EV. But you're giving that money to people to families that make over three hundred thousand dollars. Right at a time when people there's like there was recently a poll that said that four in ten people are buying fewer groceries. So do you really think that this is something that is on the, on top of mind for them? And oh by the way, where does the uh, electricity come to charge those vehicles from the electric power grid that is uh, fired up by uh, fossil fuels in this country. So there's also that. And then it's a total gift to China because China's uh, mining these rare earth minerals that go into these electric vehicles. Should we be intertwining our economy more into China right now when they just said that they were going to shoot down Nancy Pelosi's plane and they're surrounding Taiwan uh, in, you know, mm-hmm. all around the island? I don't think so. You know, uh, Eric and, and Pete, I, she's, uh, we should really brief her on our subjects ahead of time. This way she'll be more prepared. <laughs> so just a mental note. Could you jot that down, Pete, for next time we book yeah, her? Yeah, down. All right, good. Here's Joe Manchin, how we're totally wrong to say there are tax increases in this. we got to know the bottom line on taxes. Let I me mean, tell it- you the bottom line on that, Harris. You want to know the bottom line? The Joint Committee on Taxation? That opinion was only written by my friends on the Republican side. It was not done by the whole Joint Committee. So that is unfair, too. So let's be accurate what we're doing here. Are you saying that Mitch McConnell and others in the Senate are wrong about those numbers and that Americans' taxes are not going to go up totally beyond wrong. that point? Totally, absolutely wrong. Yeah, well, he would say that, of course. This is his bill. It's the the Manchin-Schumer bill. The one thing that we haven't brought up yet, though, is that we're raising taxes and spending more when we are in a recession. So there's like there's just also that. (laughs) There's just also that on top of everything we've already said. When we come back, we're going to talk about something else. Oh, let's do it. it Have you prepared for something else? I'm so excited. Ooh. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here with Carly Shimkus. We have a few minutes. And Carly's done the news all morning for two hours, well, anchor. Then she did all the news for three hours as an anchor. And now my quest is, through Pete and Eric and Allison, <laughs> to give you news you do not know. Let's right. do it. More to know with Carly Shimkus. All righty. Uh, let's start with this. Paul Pelosi, of course, in the news. You may know this, but you may not, which is why we're doing it. Uh, he pled not guilty to DUI, a DUI charge um, in California. Prosecutors are actually walking back the word drug because uh, yesterday there was a lot of reporting out that there was a drug yeah. in the system. There isn't? And yeah, now they're saying no. That was like an auto-generated boilerplate language what? for, uh, I guess, like a DUI. And then they just randomly put a drug in his system as well. So that's the story. They're sticking to it. Uh, but he pled not guilty. But he, he had another car. And he you know, and the other person's got it hurt. But that other person's no. not being interviewed. Somebody needs to teach him how to use Uber. Absolutely. It's a lifesaver. I and mean that seriously. Next. 
A passenger fined $1,874 after two undeclared McMuffins were found in his luggage. The passenger wait, traveling wait, from, from Bali, Indonesia to Australia has found themselves paying a hefty fine. Uh, the unnamed traveler was handed a fine of 2664 Australian dollars, converted to 1800 after two undeclared egg and beef sausage McMuffins and a ham croissant were found in his luggage. Uh, do you think this is the crime? The, the, <laughs> this does the dollar fit the crime? I'm having trouble processing it. It'll be the most expensive meal this passenger has ever had. The incident came days after Australian authorities brought in tough new biosecurity rules and for foot and mouth disease. Oh, gross. Have right. you ever seen kids that have that? Is it bad? Oh, it's so sad. All right. Yeah, Because like I just thought that was, that's when you say something you shouldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you feel like sometimes you get foot and mouth disease every day? I, I sure do. Google me and you'll see. <laughs> no, never. Next. All right. Uh, many Americans are ready to hit the self-destruct but- button when bugs invade their home. One in three people, 34%, claim they've actually considered burning down their own house after finding an infestation. Oh my goodness. Um, I can kind of relate to this in a way. I, I told you the cereal story once. Did I? Well, yeah. That one's too gross. I'll tell it another time. Um, but I do live in New York City. This was when I was in my early 20s. It has no reflection on my uh, roommate's hygiene. But she found a bed bug in her bed. And I was so horrified and just said, we should just move. <laughs> because Also because the process of you have to fumigate the whole thing. Oh, and yeah. It becomes a big, you can't live and there. And they only found one. And I was, I'm was, i sure it was. she was on a trip, blah, blah, blah. But I was just like, you know what? Let's just leave this life and move. No, no, you can't break your lease. That would, that would cost it. thousands. But that's how you feel. I, I relate to this. Yeah, I, I know that my, my wife has moved entire soccer teams out of hotels when she found a bed bug because nobody wants to stay as soon as no, you do. No, it's yeah. awful. Next, organizers of a festival in England broke a Guinness Book of World Records by gathering nearly 600 people to dance simultaneously to dance to disco music. The adjunctor was on hand to verify the dance that broke the previous record of 324 dancers, which was set in London in 2018. Claire Hodgson, who led the camp festival dance held rehearsal workshops online in the lead-up to this event. The record attempted to raise money for the Ella MacArthur Cancer Trust. Wow. So, good move. But I thought, you tell you the truth, I, I don't think that's a high number. That's breakable. What, wait, what? say the number again? 598. Okay. Well, we really? should do it. Right? Yeah, let's do it. For a good cause? <laughs> Why but not? would I have to dance? Or yes. would I, uh, I wouldn't have to oh, do that. Oh, yes, you would, right. my friend. You know what? I'll, I'd rather jog to beat cancer. <laughs> Is that fine? I'll give a big check we to St. We already saw Jude's. you jogging in the piece that you did with uh, Herschel Walker. I've never seen you um, in athleisure like that. Athleisure. It very nice. Right. I thought you. Know, I thought it better to better shape than Herschel. <laughs> yeah, naturally. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. We're heard around the country, heard around the world. Mark Thiessen standing by. Uh, Mike Rogers, former FBI guy and chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee. And then Tom Cotton. Big hour. Hold on tight. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They say the difference, definition of insanity is to do the same thing repeatedly but expect different results. 
Our criminal justice system is insane. Yes, because the same people get to get arrested committing these crimes to the tune of, how about this? All crimes, the massive number of crimes in New York City are done by the same people. 500 crimes by 12 people. No joke. Number two. This raises taxes. It increases the burden of taxation on lower-income people significantly. (laughs) Calling an inflation reduction bill is rather laughable. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, Manchin-Schumer climate bill, not done yet. The holdout center cinema. What does she want? We will tell you as the clock is ticking before their recess. We'll follow the breaking news from Capitol Hill as the CBO does some scoring. Number one. I think you're going to see China launch rockets over Taiwan. And I think part of this is messaging, but I think part of it is to make a sense, send a very clear signal to leaders in Taiwan and to military leaders in Taiwan, and that is uh, if we decide to take you by force, you won't be able to stop us. That's the message. 25 million don't usually stand by, and Taiwan can fight, we understand. Let the exercises begin, and they have. Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan came and went. She is now in South Korea. China incensed, as promised. They basically surrounded the island and are having exercises in and around within 10 miles of the island. As much as I support her going, I just wonder, has anyone thought this through? Anyone at all? White House, State Department, Pentagon, Speaker... Mark Thiessen joins us now. Hey, Mark. Hey, Brian. How are you? So, Mark, we've never seen uh, an island, the island of Taiwan, Taiwan surrounded by the, uh, by the Chinese with a military exercises put together in a matter of moments. And one of the rockets, we understand, landed in this, uh, the Sea of Japan. So a lot could go wrong. Yes, a lot could go wrong. Look, I, I disagree with House Speaker Pelosi on pretty much everything. But I 100% support her visit to Taiwan. I think she was uh, right to do it, courageous to do it. And she did it in the face of uh, opposition from the Chinese Communist Party, the Pentagon, and her own president. Uh, So credit where credit is due. She did the right thing. If she had not gone, it would have sent such a signal of weakness on the world stage. If you think Biden has sent a signal of weakness, the idea that the Chinese Communist Party could, by threatening uh, America stopped the Speaker of the House from visiting a, a democratic nation is just an appalling idea. So she did the absolute right thing. But, but Mark, uh, is it the is- right strategy? Because if, if you want it, hey, she could pick up the phone, get Austin on the phone, say, guys, I really want to go and do this in the spring. How, what's the best way to approach it? Hey, Mr. President, I'm going to do it. Now, if they both push back and said, you better not, and she wanted to go anyway, I understand it. But the fact that they're winging it it makes me really concerned because the stakes are high and we need to be on the same page on this. Well, keep it, keep in mind that, you know, the, the, the Trump administration sent Alex Azar, the first cabinet official, to go to visit Taiwan in decades. Uh, they said they had a policy of sending higher and higher ranking people to Taiwan to send a signal yeah. that this is normal. Uh, so this is actually, in a way, a continuation of the Trump policy towards Taiwan. Don't tell her the that. The problem we have. We, we, I know. Well, you know, even a, even a, what is it saying? Even a, a blind acorn finds a squirrel once in a while. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she says she she got she she and I'll, I'll, I, we have to give her credit. She's been good on China her entire career. I mean, I worked for Senator Jesse Helms in the 1990s, and he opposed 
the the bringing China into the World Trade Organization and giving them normal permanent normal trade relations status. And his biggest ally was Nancy Pelosi at the time. And they've been absolutely proven right on that. The uh, bringing China into the World Trade Organization has been an absolute disaster because all it has done is enrich them. It hasn't democratized them. And it's turned American business into lobbyists for the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so, you know, they were she, she has a good record on this issue. Uh, it's maybe the only one, but but she does. Um, but the, here's the problem is that we need to be able to back up our our policy with with the kind of capabilities that that say to China, you cannot successfully invade Taiwan. You know, one of the differences between Ukraine and, and Taiwan is that Ukraine has a long, porous border that, China, that Russia could just mass its troops and go over. China has to cross the Taiwan Strait to get to, to, to Taiwan. That's not an easy thing to do. And it's, a, it's a, and it's a thing that we can deny them the capability of doing, thanks to Donald Trump. Donald Trump withdrew from the international intermediate-range mis- uh, INF Treaty the inter- that banned intermediate-range nuclear and conventional missiles. It was a treaty with Russia. And it was designed for the Cold War. But because we withdrew from that, that means we can now deploy intermediate-range missiles in Asia. We can apply them in Japan. We can deploy them in Guam. We can deploy them in the Philippines. And we can deter, We can send a message to China that you can't get across the Taiwan Strait. We will be able to deny you the ability to reach Taiwan. We've got to give those weapons to, to provide that capability to Taiwan. So we don't ha- we're, we're doing the right things and saying the right things, but we're not deploying the right capabilities in order to back it up. Interesting. Here's what Marco Rubio told, Rubio told us on Fox and Friends about, you know, I'm, most people are concerned about them shooting now over Taiwan. Uh, that's what they could be doing maybe for the first time. Cut 11. I think you're going to see China launch rockets over Taiwan. I think you're going to see jets, potentially air, military airplanes fly over Taiwan. And, um, and, and I think part of this is messaging, but I think part of it is to make a send, send a very clear signal to leaders in Taiwan and to military leaders in Taiwan, and that is uh, if we decide to take you by force, you won't be able to stop us, and therefore you might as well begin to negotiate with us the terms of your surrender. I think there's no doubt about it that that's going to happen. I warned that last night. And, you know, he's always got good instincts on foreign policy, and he had yeah. a great tweet yeah. saying we, we may have divisions at home, but not when we're dealing with a common enemy. So that just to paraphrase that. So listen, now she is in South Korea and the South Korea president reportedly will not meet with her because he's afraid of anger or she. I don't know, you know who's leading that country right now, uh, afraid of angering China. So she's going that's, to the DMZ line alone and, and the president ridiculous. of South Korea is not going to do it. That's ridiculous. The, 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 the Koreans are so weak. Um, it, it, that's pathetic. But but I'll tell you the, uh, the you know the, the what we need to realize right now is what China China is going is you know when you have a kid and they have a temper tantrum and what's what's the thing you're supposed to do you just let them lie, you know they lie on the floor and they start banging their feet and yelling like that the best thing to do is not to yell at them or to confront them just to let them have their tantrum right and then they'll get it out of their system and it's over that's what's happening with China right now China does is not going to invade Taiwan over Pelosi's visit and here's why I think it won't happen because the, China's hope is that the Biden administration and, and the Americans and, and, and future administrations will not respond militarily if they invade Taiwan, that we will do what we did in Ukraine, which is pull our troops away, give them weapons maybe, but we will not get involved in a direct confrontation with them. If they were to invade or attack Taiwan over the speaker's visit, we'd have no choice but to get involved because – it was our fault that we provoked it, and so we would have to come to Taiwan's resp- uh, defense. So China has no interest 
in attacking Taiwan right now because that would do the opposite of what they want, which is to one day invade Taiwan and not have the United States military come to its defense. Well, the fact is, though, this is what uh, bothers me, is that they put themselves on a limb. They promised a violent reaction if she did this. They didn't say there'll be repercussions. But a violent, I mean, they're pledging some type of military response. Yeah, and that and that could be live fire, the live fire drills, sending, doing something unprecedented like sending planes over Taiwan. I mean, with, you know, again, let them have their tantrum. As long as they don't, if they take military action, we've got to respond and we've got to be positioned to respond. But they're, they're I don't think, I, it, maybe, I mean, look, lots of dictators do things that are not in their self-interest, like Saddam Hussein. <laughs> you know, uh, there's they, right. lots of dictators miscalculate all the time. But I think they understand that their their goal is to retake Taiwan without in, uh, getting the United States, uh, without provoking a military response from the United States. And at this time, we would have to respond. We, would, we wouldn't have a choice of sitting on the sidelines uh, if they attacked over Speaker Pelosi's visit. Uh, we're talking to Mark Thiessen. Mark, since I'm going to be able to talk uh, foreign relations with Mike Rogers and Tom Cotton, I do want to get into this mansion bill, the Manchin-Schumer bill. Kristen Cinema is evidently holding out to get rid of the carried interest. She's evidently holding out to get some more green money for uh, water issues they're having in Arizona. Are you mm-hmm. hopeful that she will hold the line and not sign off on this, sending this uh, Schumer-Manchin bill, on, putting it on ice until they return? You know, I, I I think that, unfortunately, Manchin has left her out on a limb, and it's very hard to be the only one standing up uh, to, to the rest of your entire party. So I'm not hopeful that she'll do that. And she probably agrees with a lot of things that are in the bill, uh, though, you know, I, I've never seen a, a person treated the way she has been by the Democratic Party. I mean, the idea that her vote is crucial to this and they didn't even bring her into the process and they surprised her with it is uh, is appalling. Uh, so I'm not confident she's going to kill it. I think she'll end up uh, probably end up voting for it. But boy, would I be thrilled if she didn't. What do you take from this? Because Joe Manchin swears there's no tax increases where the <laughs> Wall Street Journal did their study and says it's going to be 14 billion for people who make over 200,000 and if, uh, between 200 and 500,000. There's going to be 16.7 billion over 10 years of additional tax revenue for people who make that. Well, who's right? Well, the Joint Economic Committee, which, uh, the, the Joint uh, Tax Committee, rather, uh, which is uh, bipartisan, did a, did a nonpartisan scrub of it, and they they found that it does raise taxes on people making less. But here's the thing: it does, which is why I, you know, they, you had the Penn Wharton study, which said that it has zero impact on inflation. So calling it the Inflation Reduction Act is a is a lie, and the Penn Wharton group is completely nonpartisan. Um, their, their, their claim to it being uh, to being not inf- uh, fighting inflation is that it'll reduce the deficit in the long run. It, uh, that that's years and years from now, and I'm not even sure that that's ever going to happen. So that's questionable to begin with. But on taxes, why do we have inflation right now? We have inflation because demand is outstripping supply. We, so what we need is less demand and more supply. Fifty percent of the tax increases in this bill are on manufacturers. So if you increase taxes on manufacturers who are already getting hit by supply chain issues, inflation, and uh, and a labor shortage, and on top of that, you add a tax increase on it, do you think that's going to increase supply? No, it's going to decrease supply. And so it makes inflation worse because demand is still going strong, and we need more supply, and this is a tax bill that is going to depress supply. So it makes no sense 
economically, regardless of whether you think that the deficit reduction is going to happen in the out years. I understood. Uh, but real quick, this Mitch McConnell was on record uh, saying uh, saying this about the Senate. Cut 42. I think it's going to be a very tight. We have a 50-50 Senate now. We have a 50-50 nation. And I think when the Senate race smoke clears, we're likely to have a very, very close Senate still with either us up slightly or the Democrats up slightly. So uh, that was not that most insightful. But to me, that's not leadership. Leadership is we will turn it. The America needs us to take back the Senate. We've seen what happens when Joe Biden's got control of Congress. It is leads to disaster, almost titanic disaster to change our country forever. Come on. I don't need an analyst. I need a leader. Don't you? Well, I need I need leadership is also not uh, nominating people who can't win. Uh, that, I mean, that's a, and, and endorsing people who are who are the least likely to win. So, you know, maybe the red wave is strong enough that uh, it could overcome the weakness, the weakness of some of these candidates that we've chosen. Uh, I, I, there's not a single poll showing Herschel Walker ahead. There's not a single poll showing Dr. Oz ahead. I don't know how Bla- there's only one poll with Blake Masters and he's losing by nine points in it. I don't know if that'll work. I mean, we, we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position of losing a lot of potentially winnable races that should have been winnable. And we only need one, a net gain of one seat to take back the Senate. And the fact that that's in question, uh, it feels like 2010 again. We haven't nominated any witches yet, but the primary season isn't over. Uh, I will say this. Um, I think that I just spent a day with Herschel Walker. I know he, you did, yeah. Yeah, he I is totally that. underestimated. And I talked to Possibly. Newt Gingrich to get ready for it. I was talking to Newt Gingrich. I just said, hey, listen, I know you've been working with him. And he was astounded by how much he knew and how dedicated he is to learn. And he had the Reagan box. In the Reagan box is about 500 flashcards, and, and he just has his staff testing them all day. While doing, and I'll tell you this, while doing debate prep, so he's going back and forth. He committed to a debate today. Well, going back and forth, I don't know if I'm going to debate. He's been debate prepping the entire time, and he's within the margin of error by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Dr. Oz is interesting, much more talented. He has got a, he's got an easy opponent. The guy is awful. He's been totally misrepresenting himself, and he's got to do it from his basement. Evidently, he's not healthy, Fetterman. He is Bernie Sanders. Bernie, people, yeah, people of Pennsylvania (laughs) do not want Bernie Sanders. There's no question. All Dr. Oz has to do is define his opponent, and he wins. I, I listen. I hope you're right. I hope that we. I hope that these candidates surprise a lot of people. We need to take back the the Senate. The good news is, is whatever happens in 2022, in 2024, we're going to take back the Senate if we don't do it now, because the the table is so tilted towards uh, towards the Republicans. The Democrats have have nine competitive seats they're defending. Republicans have zero. There's not a single person running in a state that a Republican running in a state that Joe Biden won. Uh, so 2024, it's almost certain that it's inevitable that the Republicans are going to take back the Senate. It's just a question of when. Right. And just like it's inevitable that Joe Biden's going to win a second term. It's just a matter of when. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mark, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Take care. You can Bye. follow him at uh, Mark Thiessen. Meanwhile, at 34 after Mike Rogers, good news. First time you, one 408 7669 I see you up there. I'll get to your calls when we return. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Our recidivism rates have skyrocketed. And those who say that the predicted wave of recidivism wouldn't happen, and the studies that claim to show that the rate of arrests for violent felonies has not changed since the reforms were passed. I have one word for you. Wrong. You are wrong. Exactly. Ten. This is the front page of the New York Post. Ten people, 945 days, 485 crimes. 485 crimes. Can we just keep the criminals in jail? We'd be out of the woods. That doesn't stop Manhattan DA, DA Alvin Bragg, an embarrassment. Cut 31. You know, I've been working for 20 years talking about how to improve our imperfect system. So uh, certainly I think that's what we're working on every day, uh, improving the system. Uh, I am you know, proud of what we're doing at the Manhattan DA's office. Um, just mentioned some of the work we're doing. Really encouraged by the fact that homicides are down, shootings are down year to date uh, in Manhattan. And so... Yes, lots more work to do, but trending in the right direction. Crime is up 37%. And I don't say this is a New York story. It's Chicago, it's Philadelphia, it's San Francisco, it's Los Angeles, it's Memphis. I was in Memphis, Tennessee. They told me the number one issue, crime. It's because cops aren't empowered and these DAs are letting everybody out. And George Soros, who's financing it, says it's working. We're working. If you hate America, it's working. I don't. You don't. Mike Rogers doesn't. He's next. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Now that Taiwan is effectively encircled by the Chinese military doing these drills, does the president think that the trip was worth the trouble? Look, I already said this, and I'll just repeat it to you. There is no reason for uh, Beijing uh, to, uh, to turn this visit uh, which is consistent with longstanding U.S. policy uh, in, into some sort of crisis. The United States will not seek and does not want a crisis here. But we are prepared to manage what Beijing chooses to do. So you could not get an endorsement of the trip and the backing to the speaker from the Democratic president of the United States. And she seems always unprepared to answer any difficult question because she doesn't put the work in to research it and get a perspective and then decide what we'll learn. I think every question she gets, she's winging it. We're reading it on some uh, page in some folder. Mike Rogers, uh, former chairman of the House Permanent Subcommittee, a select committee on intelligence, an FBI guy in his past life. Congressman, welcome back. Brian, always good to be back. Little unprecedented. One thing is for sure, you're you're yeah. always talking about something controversial, which is fantastic. Right, but something I need expertise on, uh, and <laughs> I and I wouldn't mind being uh, you're the perfect guest for this too. So you know what goes on behind the scenes, and you know what we see. So I'm looking at maps now that show major exercises going on on every side of the island of Taiwan for the first time in my lifetime. I believe. Uh, are you concerned? No, I mean, I'm always concerned about China, and I'm always concerned. Listen, they've wanted to pull that trigger of invasion for a long time. They've been very patient. But what you see there is just a little bit of an escalation from where they have been in the last couple of years. You know, they've been flying warplanes into Taiwanese airspace, making them uh, Taiwan uh, scramble their jets. 
they've practiced these marine landings, meaning they're trying to show Taiwan, listen, we'll fill up a whole bunch of boats with the, with Chinese Marines and go across the straits and invade Taiwan. We want you to sh- we want to show you that we can do it. So this is more of the same behavior. What I thought was really crazy about this is that first the White House leaked out that well the military said they didn't like it. Of course, the military has never come out and said that. Uh, Mike, I'll, uh, I'll qualify which, that. It's not even the president. The president actually said that after his Massachusetts speech. Remember? He was asked, well, the yeah, Pentagon advised against okay. it. And then the Pentagon says, no, we didn't. Yeah, well, they were trying to hide behind that. Uh, and again, this is, shows how feckless they are. So all the problems you see are generated by this absolutely display from the administration of weakness. The more you try to say, oh, gosh, we don't want to honk off the Chinese, guess what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to speed up. And so what they really needed to do is come out and support it. You can't have China dictate where our senior leadership, either in, in the Congress or in the White House, goes and who we talk to and how we talk to. Remember, 90% of the world's chips are coming off of that island in Taiwan that's important to everything that we do here in the United States. So it's important that we continue to tell them that, that hey, we're with you. We're not going to let China take you over and, of course, take the chip business as well or destroy it, either one. And so this, this is, again, a make, this is a problem that they have created for themselves by this absolutely display, this, this display of weakness. So the other thing to keep in mind, too, is you know how Thomas Friedman, the, the columnist for The New York Times, he, he's almost a mentor and a confidant to Joe Biden. He writes an editorial saying this is not the time for Speaker Pelosi to take the trip. This is not a good time because China's helped us by staying out of the conflict with Ukraine and letting Russia not get any arms, even any drones. What do you say to, to that, knowing that he's actually speaking for other people, not a guy staring into space wondering what to write today? Yeah, I mean— Clearly, again, this is this administration deciding that if you just give good hugs, the world will treat you better. China is not like that. And to say that China is not helping Russia in the war in Ukraine is absolutely naive. They're helping them by buying oil, by doing certain black market activities across the border between China and Russia, uh, which are pretty prevalent. And so their rhetoric is we're not doing anything. And, yes, maybe they haven't sent drones yet. Uh, but they, Russia is fairly much a client state of the Chinese Communist Party now because of the financial relationship that they've built up. And when a Western country pulls out, guess who goes in? A Chinese tech company goes in to these Western companies like Nokia and Ericsson, companies that are pulling out of China. Guess what? Uh, excuse me, pulling out of Russia. The Chinese uh, companies are going in by order of the Communist Party of China. So some notion that they're not helping sustaining uh, and, and allowing the Russians to do what they do is absolute uh, naivete. I, I mean, here's the thing that, that uh, we have to worry about as well. And if the administration doesn't recognize that, they're, they're going to make all of these bad decisions, including trying to get in the middle of the way of a Speaker of the House going to a country of which we support and buy and, ha- and depend on economically. We should never let any nation in the world dictate uh, our travel like that. And they just capitulated on that and showed the Chinese, guess what? These guys can be had. 
I want to bring you to the Zawahiri killing. You've been hunting him. You know what he means. You know that he was uh, yeah. the brains behind that. You know he was part of Anwar Sadat's assassination team. Uh, you know that he was with the Muslim Brotherhood, then got his own unit, and then combined with al-Qaeda, and that he was been hiding out. I wondered about why we were not going after him more. No one really knew his name that wasn't as into it as we are, and you actually did this for a living. So when he is found in a townhouse in Kabul, owned by the Haqqani Network, uh, Haqqani Network uh, interior minister. What are your thoughts as we blow him up reportedly off his balcony? Uh, boy, this one really bothers me. And, and yes, we should celebrate that he is gone. He was a very smart logistical planner. Obviously, his security operations were good up to this point. Remember, he's been on the hunt since uh, 2011. We've been hunting him. Uh, the fact that should really disturb people is after the disastrous pullout of Afghanistan, where we said, hey, the Taliban is going to continue to support uh, al-Qaeda, and they're going to do it, and they're going to continue to support, by the way, the Haqqani Network, which was also engaged in supporting terrorist activities. Well, guess what? And so we found that not only – to think of this, he's staying in a townhome in Kabul. Right now, if he were out in Helmand province, that might be something different. If he was hiding in a cave, something different. He was in town. He felt comfortable enough to be in town uh, that he was walking around. That tells you that he has serious clout and pull and protection from the Haqqani network uh, and uh, the Taliban senior leadership, which is why uh, it was such a disaster just to pick up and run like hell to the exit. Uh, and, you know, allow our, our allies who are there to take the punishment for it. Here's John Kirby, Cut 33. So we know that the Taliban was harboring the world's most wanted terrorists. You guys gave a whole country to a bunch of people that are on the FBI most wanted list. What did you think was going to happen? I take issue with the premise that we gave a whole country to terrorist groups. I mean, again, I'd, 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 I'd encourage you to ask. The world's number one terrorist. How is that not giving a country permission to have terrorists just well, sit on a balcony? The question, I mean, Peter, the way you asked that, it makes it sound like we owned Afghanistan a year ago. But we said at the time that as we depart Afghanistan, we're going to keep vigilant. We're going to stay ready. And we're not going to let Afghanistan become a safe haven for terrorists who threaten our homeland. So what's your reaction? The fact is, it makes the Afghanistan exit look even worse, if that's possible. No, no, exactly right. Well, that, again, I'm glad they got this guy. And it was done through uh, what was left of our intelligence network that was there. But remember, if he's there, that means he's having pretty senior leadership meetings. It means he's doing operational planning. I mean, he's not there on vacation. He's there to, to set into motion both the financing, recruiting of new al-Qaeda members to their mission, uh, including cross-pollination with uh, ISIS members. And everybody says they don't get along. And yeah, that's true on the, on the top page. But the people that they need to come and aboard airplanes and fly to the United States and do something bad, guess what? As long as they're killing Americans or they're killing Israelis, or they're killing Western people. They don't care what, what flag it is. And so this is, that's a ripe environment for somebody uh, like him, and that's what should worry us. So, our, yes, our, our intelligence network, what was left of it, did a phenomenal job, just like they did in that long, slow, right. and, and sometimes painful but very patient look for Osama bin Laden. But it tells you he's a network operating there. We got one guy. 
all right, what do you know about the network that's now operating out of Kabul? And apparently he came from Helmand province. What do you know about that? Problem is, it, the way it's set up now, you might get a break, uh, but likely is this is going to be another long and hard slog. And have you presented the opportunity for them uh, to get a window to do more terrorist activity around the world? And I'll guarantee you, when we kill them, and we should have, guess what? They're going to want to take. They're going to want to find a way to respond. Do we have enough there? Or we don't have anything there other than what the remnants of our own intelligence networks. That's what's so confusing. And for them not to recognize that is concerning for me. Mike Rogers, thanks so much for the briefing. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. Uh, When we come back, Senator Tom Cotton joins us. He's got similar concerns. He also wants to talk about the expansion of NATO. He's going to be going to Finland, Sweden. Now, I know Senator Josh Hawley, not for this expansion. I'm all in. Are you? Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding NATO will not make America stronger and it will not make America safer. What it will do is commit us to sending more troops and spending more money and devoting more resources to Europe. And frankly, I think that's the wrong choice. I mean, just look at the challenges we face at home with our border and abroad and our uh, overseas. We're talking about our enemies abroad. Our number one threat is not in Europe. It's in Asia. It's China. And right now we are not where we need to be to protect ourselves from China's rise, to protect ourselves from China's attempt to take over our economy, to push us around militarily. We're not in position at all. So my view is Let's focus on the things that really are in America's interest. Let's focus on China overseas. Let's focus on our borders at home. But uh, expanding NATO, it just doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Uh, That is Senator Josh Hawley. And I couldn't believe it. Uh, It doesn't make any sense to me to think to add two formidable formidable nations who invest in their military to an alliance. I always thought made us stronger. Senator Tom Cotton joins us now, Intelligence and Armed Services, ranking member for the Subcommittee on Criminal Justice and Counterterror and a former U.S. US Army Infantry officer. Senator, do you agree with Josh Hawley or are you more uh, Josh Hawley and perhaps uh, Turkey or do you agree with most of the rest of the Senate? Uh, Brian, I voted to admit Sweden and Finland to NATO uh, because it will improve America's security. Um, obviously, it's good for NATO or for Sweden and Finland. They've long been neutral countries after watching what Russia has done in Ukraine. They want strength in numbers. That's understandable. But, of course, the real question is, what's in it for America? Um, and what's in it is a lot, because Sweden and Finland bring a lot to our common defense in Europe. Uh, first, they have very strong militaries, Finland in particular, uh, because it's right on Russia's border, because it's been in war with Russia before, to include the brutal Winter War of 1939-1940, they have some of the largest and most well-trained reserve forces in Europe, have some of the largest artillery and rocket forces in Europe. Uh, Sweden has advanced uh, defense industrial base, Saab makes some of the uh, world's finest weapons. Both of these countries have uh, companies that are really the only competitors to China's Huawei and the global technology race, Ericsson and Nokia. Uh, so economically and militarily, they bring a lot to NATO. Uh, geographically, they also bring a lot. Sweden has the island of Gotland right in the middle of the Baltic Sea. 
he who controls Dotland controls the Baltic, which means controls the Russian Baltic fleet. Uh, Finland is at the northern shore of the Gulf of Finland. Estonia and NATO allies are already on the southern shore. That means that NATO will therefore control access to St. Petersburg, Russia's second largest city. Uh, Sweden, along with Denmark, controls the Danish Straits, which makes it harder, once again, for the Baltic fleet uh, from Russia to get in and out of the Baltic. So economically, militarily, geographically, Sweden and Finland are, are, you could say, probably the strongest nations we have added to NATO since NATO started in 1949. There's at least an arguable case for it. And that's exactly what we should want from NATO. We should want NATO to be stronger in Europe so it leans less on European power because China is indeed our number one threat. Adding Sweden and Finland, though, does not mean we add more troops, more planes, more aircraft to Europe. That means that in the long run, it should allow us to move more of those resources and more of those personnel to the Western Pacific because European NATO will be able to stand more on its own two feet. That's why I, I think this was very much in America's interest. So is it in Hungary's interest and in Turkey's interest? Are, you, are they going to try to stop this? So my understanding is that uh, President Erdogan in particular uh, uh, has worked out uh, his differences with Sweden and Finland, and Sweden in particular, and that they will ultimately ratify these treaties as well. Um, Hungary, I do believe, uh, is on the path to ratify too. Uh, you know, there's already 30 NATO countries. Um, it takes some time, but Sweden and Finland, again, are advanced industrial democracies. They don't need a long 17-step membership plan. I think before the end of the year, and maybe quite a bit before the end of the year, all 30 countries will have ratified the treaty, and Sweden and Finland will be part of NATO. I hope so. Uh, you know, Viktor Orban, I guess, has not really broken ties with Vladimir Putin. I find odd, and Erdogan has never been trustful. Uh, he's not a laudable character. Uh, made up some coup attempt. Senator, when you look at what's happening in China right now, I know you get briefed and I know you can't tell us everything, but what what is your takeaway from the military exercises taking place around the entire island? Well, these military exercises are simply a small incremental step beyond what China has already been doing uh, in terms of threatening Taiwan, conducting operations in the Taiwan Strait, sending aircraft not only into the strait, into some of Taiwan's territorial and economic waters. These are all an effort to, to tax the Taiwanese Air Force to make them scramble their airplanes, to put stress on their operations and maintenance schedule, also to camouflage in the long run uh, operations that would precede an invasion and try to dull Taiwan's uh, sense um, of um, Dull them into complacency. Um, the operations are slightly bigger than they have been in the past. I think that's in large part because Joe Biden dialed Nancy Pelosi's visit up to DEFCON 1. I, I believe, and I'm pretty well informed on this, that it was the Biden White House that leaked Nancy Pelosi's trip last month uh, in an effort to pressure her not to go. Um, and uh, that is completely, completely contrary to longstanding custom and practice. It's always been the case, as Beijing knows, as everyone in Washington knows, that while executive branch officials from the United States government typically don't travel to Taiwan, legislators do. Um, many other legislators have traveled to Taiwan just this year. Um, I've been there a couple times myself as well. China always beats its chest and complain 
Uh, but in the end, they understand that this is in keeping with 40-plus years of diplomatic practice and custom. So it's, it's the Chinese communists who are trying to move the goalposts here to alter America's relationship with Taiwan. Unfortunately, Joe Biden played in their hands because he's nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Senator, uh, you, I know you're going overseas. Best of luck. Stay safe. Thank you, Brian. Uh, by the way, uh, Chinese ballistic missiles, five landed in the Japanese government's what they call their economic zone waters. Nice. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I'll be able to take your calls in about 12 minutes, or it may be 15. Josh Rogan from the Washington Post at the bottom of the hour. If anybody uh, knows more about China, I'm not sure who it is and about how we're viewed in China, because at this moment, the exercises are continuing to send a message uh, to Taiwan to never let our speaker there again. Well, I'm not sure she's going to be speaker again, but I will say the message is they are way bent out of shape and out in a limb. They promise a violent reaction to what would happen. A visit from a high-ranking American is not the first time by a long shot. So what's happening there and what would be happening if the president of the United States just reaffirmed that he was in support of the mission. He has never said that, and that could be the problem. And we have a lot more to discuss. We're also getting a verdict. It looks like the uh, Russian court system, the kangaroo court, what it is, has, fought, has found uh, Brittany Griner uh, guilty of, uh, of trying of, – of, of what she already pleaded guilty to. I don't know what that means. I think the prosecutor is looking for nine and a half years. Absolutely obscene. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They say the difference, definition of insanity is to do the same thing repeatedly, but expect different results. Our criminal justice system is insane. No kidding. Insanity. New York City reveals what we all know, the hard and violent facts. The same people committing the same crimes over and over again. A small number of people and a whole lot of crime. What are we going to do to fix it? Number two. This raises taxes. It increases the burden of taxation on lower-income people significantly. <laughs> Calling an inflation reduction bill is rather laughable. Mansion Schumer climate bill, more like it. The holdout. Senator Cinema. what does she want? We'll discuss. Number one. I think you're going to see China launch rockets over Taiwan. And I think part of this is messaging, but I think part of it is to make a send, send a very clear signal to leaders in Taiwan and to military leaders in Taiwan, and that is uh, if we decide to take you by force, you won't be able to stop us. Let the exercises begin, and they have. Speaker Pelosi visits Taiwan, now in South Korea, where the president will not meet with her reportedly uh, because she does, they don't want to aggravate China. Unbelievable. With all our thousands of troops there and our missiles, they still are worried about China. And if you ever want to, by the way, miss the show live, want to get the podcast, go to BrianKillMeetShow.com. Let's bring in Josh Krashar, the senior political correspondent for Axios, fresh off his appearance on a special report. Josh, welcome. Brian, great to be back on the show. So uh, your, your impression about what's going on overseas, why can't the president, the Pentagon, and the speaker get on the same page? Yeah, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head on what the biggest political uh, challenge, geopolitical challenge is. Uh, it's one thing for you know Pelosi to schedule a trip to Taiwan and for the White House Democratic leadership to, to, to be on the same page, to be on her side. 
it, it isn't good, uh, I don't think, for American national security when you have the White House and the Pentagon sounding from a different playbook than, than the Speaker's office. Uh, you want to have one voice, one American voice when it comes to these very sensitive issues. And that's one thing that uh, is still dogging um, the, the, you know, our, our foreign policy, international security, after even the Pelosi's return from, from Taiwan. And like going over to South Korea and this, this whole trip, uh, I mean, I could see when Republicans and Democrats don't get along. I remember when Nancy Pelosi went to Syria when George Bush was in office. They thought that was undermining him. But I wouldn't think that she'd do anything to undermine President Biden. She's been nothing but supportive. But once she committed, she couldn't walk back. We just had Senator Tom Cotton on. He, like many others, have said it was the White House that leaked out her trip. They, called, they ratcheted up this thing to DEFCON 9. Yeah, it, it's a little unusual um, for that within your own party to have a president undermining the speaker on such a sensitive issue. Now, they should have worked out the, the logistics, the scheduling of her trip before it was announced, before the plans were, were, were scheduled. Uh, but after it's already done, I, I think Senator Cotton is right. You, you, you look weak if you, if you basically uh, back down in the face of Chinese bluster. Communist Chinese country parties are talking a good game, but you know their actions may may not match the the, the rhetoric. Uh, but but and it also underscores American divisions. You don't want to be divided when it comes to such an important geostrategic threat. So uh, let's talk about not being divided. Democrats want to get everybody in the same page and pass this Mansion Schumer, what they say is uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't really address inflation. But Kirsten Sinema is the holdout, which he wants reportedly is to put back carried interest uh, into this bill because she thinks it's important for business, like most Republicans do, and she wants something to, for her water issue in Arizona. Do you think they're going to get on the same page today or tomorrow? It's hard to see Senator Sinema, as independent as she's been, scuttling this, this package. You've got progressives in the House, moderates in the House pretty much all on board. You've got every Democrat, including obviously Joe Manchin, willing to, 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 to back this thing. Uh, if Cinema wants a political future in Arizona, if she doesn't want to lose a primary, uh, she's, you know, she's going to find a way to get to yes. Now, I think she's trying to negotiate. She's using her leverage right now to deal with a carried interest provision, which she's been opposed to in the past. Maybe she's like, we reported at Axios, she actually wants more money for, for climate change spending. Uh, Arizona is a state that's threatened by by climate change, so she actually wants more money perhaps in, in, in the legislation for that. But I, I have a hard time seeing how she blows the whole thing up, especially given that, that the whole Democratic Party would, would, would really suffer uh, if, if that did happen. They get on the same page, they do reconciliation with the House, and they pass this thing. Is this a political winner for either side? Look, it, it, it's a political winner for Democrats in a, little, in, a, in a small way because it means they finally get a bill passed. They get something done. They get they, they, they play to their base by getting this climate spending that, that's a big part of this legislation. I, I don't think it moves the needle dramatically in the midterm elections. Republicans already facing a very good political environment. If there's an issue that Democrats run on, as we've learned, based on Tuesday's election results, it's going to be abortion rights, not, not, not climate change, not spending um, for health care. It's going to be it's probably going to be abortion rights. So I, I think this helps Democrats not be divided. It finally shows they can actually govern uh, with having control of the presidency, the House and the Senate. But uh, I, don't, I don't think it moves the needle a whole lot in the midterms. You, you point to Kansas in the referendum. They were going for zero, uh, zero abortion and they, they're going to keep abortion uh, is going to be allowed in that state to some degree. Why is that significant? 
Kansas is one of the most Republican states in the country, and Republicans – or pro-life uh, Republicans at least were pretty confident that there was a good chance they could get changes into the state constitution that would allow them to regulate and, and outlaw or restrict abortion. And it failed by about 18 points, which is a, a remarkable number in, in such a Republican state. And even, even more worrisome for Republicans is the turnout was at – you know, midterm levels for what was otherwise a very sleepy, uh, uninteresting <laughs> primary cycle. So th- th- this is a warning sign, especially with races where maybe the Republicans a little bit out of the political mainstream on the issue of abortion. You can be pro-life. I think it's. I think this is less about pro-life versus pro-choice. I think the worry that Republicans have is when you have certain candidates who are, aren't just pro-life but they oppose exceptions. For rape and incest, life of the mother, take positions that are e- e- even to the pro-life on the pro-life spectrum are, are more to the right of that issue. Who 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 does that? I don't. What what? Well, you got Doug Mast- Yeah, you've got you got you know Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, the nom- nominee for for governor. You've had you know in Arizona, the Senate candidate Blake Masters has, has taken positions that I think are, are probably to the right of where most Arizona voters are, even even on the pro-life side of the the issue. So yeah, most voters are kind of in the middle on abortion. They, they favor restrictions, they, but they don't favor an outright ban. And I think in Kansas, the worry was that there could be an outright ban or, or close to it as the, you know, Missouri did and as Oklahoma did in, in, in recent weeks. So put, uh, so there's a morning consult poll and it says President Biden's approval range at 39% for the most part. Uh, some lower, uh, like for example, Quinnipiac, I think it was at 30, and then others have a little bit higher. So let's say it's 39%. The generic congressional ballot, though, has the Dems with a two-point advantage over Republicans, 45-43. At the same time, the right track, wrong track, 26% of voters, just 26% say we're on, the right tra- uh, we're on the right track currently. How do those first two numbers comport with the second, where Democrats now have a slight advantage? What does that mean to you, Josh? Yeah, so these are not these are bad numbers for Democrats. This is not going to be a good political midterm for for Democrats with Biden's approval numbers. They've gone up a point or two, but they're still around forty percent. That is not good. The um the the right track wrong track, like you note, Brian, those are among the worst numbers I've seen in a long time for 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 the right track side of it. By the way, the generic ballot always favors Democrats. I, I think there's a lot of misleading information going around that if Democrats are tied. On the generic ballot, that's good news. In 2010, Democrats were close to tied uh, on the generic ballot on, on the polling averages. 2014, they were close to tied on, on the back generic ballot in the polling averages. Uh, Republicans won nine Senate seats in 2014. They swept the House, won 63 seats in 2010. Gen- the generic ba- ballot question always is biased against Republicans because Democrats are concentrated in the blue states and Republicans are more efficiently spread out. So I feel like what people say, hey, it's Democrats are tied on the generic ballot. That's great news. No, it's not great news. It, it actually still means that there's a very strong possibility Republicans could gain a whole lot of seats in the House. All right. A uh, couple of things. We just want to say uh, the Russian courts uh, have a verdict. They have found U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner guilty of drug possession and smuggling. Uh, they initially sought that Griner to be sentenced to nine and a half years in prison, uh, nearly six months after the American star was arrested in Moscow. They just came across. So that's what you could be looking at. It looks like they're going for a swap for this arms dealer. Everybody wants our guys out. That arms dealer seems to be a flat-out imbalance and may lay the groundwork for more of this with our other enemy nations like Iran and China. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very problematic situation. Um, and I think the White House wanted to 
do some of these negotiations privately. That's how the, they, they tend to work well when, when they, they're not litigated on the news. Now, Brittany Griner is a famous WNBA player. Uh, her, her family, her, her allies were making a big deal about this, and that, that gives the Russians more leverage. It allows them to ask for more, to hold out, and know that we were kind of desperate to, to, to get her back and to get Paul Whelan back at the same time. And look, I, I, I'm, I'm instinctively pessimistic that, that there's going to be a deal worked out in the near term just because it's been litigated so publicly that we look a little more, um, you know, more, more, more willing to make a deal than, than, than the Russians do. I, they, they're playing hardball, and I don't think they're going to let us out easy. All right, I want you to hear, uh, let's go back to politics now. Um, uh, we also have some news about Brianna Taylor that I'm going to go over. Uh, FBI is, uh, is now going to charge those officers uh, for the death of Brianna Taylor on that no-knock uh, warrant situation in Louisville. So Merrick Garland's come forward on that when a court, when locally she, they were not going to be prosecuted. So, uh, Josh, I want to bring you to what Mitch McConnell said last night on Special Report. I think it's going to be a very tight. We have a 50-50 Senate now. We have a 50-50 nation. And I think when this Senate race smoke clears, we're likely to have a very, very close Senate still with either us up slightly or the Democrats up slightly. So not exactly more of an analyst than a cheerleader. You know, I was talking to Kevin Martha McCarthy this morning, and he's like, is that leadership? Because, you know, you got to make sure that it goes your direction. There's such a dramatic difference uh, between how this this one Senate goes. But is that somebody that is almost resigned to not winning the Senate? What do you think? Boy, that, that's a big headline that, that McConnell made on special report last night, that, that he was, if you read between the lines, he was almost predicting a good chance that Democrats could hold the Senate, which frankly was not the majority view even, even a few weeks ago. Uh, between the lines, Brian, McConnell is worried about some of these Republican Senate nominees. He, he, he doesn't think they're very good. He thinks that they're too extreme in some cases, and he doesn't think that they can, most importantly for McConnell, he doesn't think they can win some of these swing states. Now, I, I agree. You know, I, I can understand why a lot of Republicans don't like the fact that he's playing pundit. They, you know, you should be a party guy, support, uh, and be enthusiastic about Republican chances and, and promote these Republican candidates. But between the lines, you know, McCarthy has been – sorry, McConnell – has been feuding with Donald Trump about some of these candidates in these big races, and uh, McConnell is pessimistic. Uh, he that, that that comment shows how pessimistic he is right now about gaining uh, a bunch of Senate seats. And it, it, at best, it looks like Republicans are hoping for a one or two seat gain when they could have gotten four or five seats in, in the more optimistic view months ago. A couple of things. I mean, if you look at you know matchups, make fights in boxing. Don't tell me what kind of boxer he is. Tell me who he's fighting. And if you just look into these, break this down. We don't know what's happening with Hassan in New Hampshire. We don't have an opponent yet, do we? No. No, no opponent. Their primaries in September. But they, would, they won't have the governor with Sununu, who would have probably been a shoe-in. Uh, when we look in Pennsylvania, it's Dr. Oz, a hard-fought hard race against uh, McCormick. But he's going against Fetterman, who, in all honesty, Republicans should on the surface feel good about because Fetterman is Bernie Sanders, only he doesn't want a campaign. I don't know if he's healthy or not. But he doesn't really go anywhere. So to me, it could be Pennsylvania could be a uh, a retention. And and one thing about Dr. Oz got plenty of energy and Herschel Walker within the margin of error uh, with Warnock. To me, that's a fight. That's not resignation. Do you? Am I missing something? No, I, I totally agree. I mean, look, the, 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 if, if Republicans are giving up now that, that 
given the political environment, that that is that is not good news. I mean, Oz has to nationalize this race. You're absolutely right, Brian, that Fetterman is well to the left of where most Democratic candidates are. He's been off the campaign trail. His health issues continue to be a concern. Uh, you know, Oz, if, if Oz gets Republicans to vote for him, if they show up, he has a credible chance to, to hold that Senate seat for, for Republicans, especially in this type of political environment. Herschel Walker, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of worries about the, the caliber of, of, of his campaign, the fact that he's not been on the campaign trail, not doing a lot of public appearances. But look, the, you're right. The polling shows that race close. I think Republicans would like Herschel to be up instead of down in the polls, but he's within the margin of error in a bunch of these polls, and he's within striking distance. And again, in Georgia, the political environment, very good for Republicans. So, and he, he's, he's just the same on a whole lot of these battlegrounds. These are still races. Right. It, it, the bigger issue is that I think Repu- McConnell certainly thinks Republicans should be competing right now. They're within striking distance, but they, they're underperforming the expectations at this point. Josh Crosshair, thanks so much. This is the way everyone's got to read Axios. Uh, Josh, thank you. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. We're going to be uh, on with... uh, Josh Rogan in about five minutes, and he's the author of uh, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, She, and the Battle for the 21st Century. We know as we speak, we are uh, understanding that Taiwan is able to witness as close as 12 miles from their shores the military exercises of China. By the way, according to Japan, about five rockets, missiles, have landed in the economic zone in the Sea of Japan. So already some errant rockets. I don't think they were trying to send a message to Japan. They have nothing to do with this. We are also following the story that the a judge in Russia, that corrupt government, has just sentenced the best female basketball player uh, America has ever produced to nine years in prison for carrying uh, a very small, uh, a very small amount of uh, of illegal substance passing through uh, an airport. So this is leading to more tension as the administration tries to get out of this PR nightmare. Not having relations with Russia, basically. Not even speaking terms with Russia, essentially. And needing at least two of American citizens out of there. And the Russians are loving it. While they are beginning to lose a lot of power in Kyrgyzstan, the first city they took in the Ukraine. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, go to BrianKilmeade.com. Find out about my August 27th event in New Jersey, in Newark, New Jersey. It's going to be Taking Back America, a 1,000 people at a time. I want you to be one of those 1,000. Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. Right now is the time to have good relations with China, open dialogue, and not doing anything to provoke them. Because eyes on the prize, the prize is Ukraine pushing Russia out of out of Ukraine. And for that, China is helping us. I wouldn't be poking the bear right now. Really? They're poking the bear. Uh, not talking about Russia, talking about China. He was said, that is Thomas Friedman. Um, the foreign policy correspondent, best-selling author, uh, columnist, I should say, for the New York Times, with a lot of influence with many administrations, especially with this president, 
saying we should not be sending the speaker there. The speaker shouldn't be there. Josh Rogan joins us now, author of Chaos Under Heaven. He's a Washington Post columnist himself. Uh, his article, The Real Crisis Over Taiwan, will start after Pelosi comes home. Guess what? She's not home yet, Josh, and it's already started. She's in South Korea. What's your take first on Thomas Friedman's comments? Yeah, totally wrong. Hey, Brian, good to be with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, as usual, Thomas Friedman is totally wrong. I mean, he makes two big errors here. First of all, uh, he accuses Pelosi of being reckless for visiting Taiwan rather than applying that label where it belongs to the Chinese Communist Party, which is menacing Taiwan. You know, they're shooting missiles over the island. They're planning military drills all over, all around it. Uh, they threat, their propaganda trolls have been threatening to shoot Pelosi's plane out of the air. That's reckless. That's what reckless is. You know, uh, a, a congresswoman going to a de- democ- democracy is not reckless. Okay, that's uh, her right. And now I'm not saying that they did it well. I'm not saying that the Biden administration handled it well. I'm not saying that she got all of, out of it that she could. I'm not saying that there are no risks there. But to call her reckless in the Chinese Communist Party is uh, not reckless. That's crazy to me. Now, the, the, the other part is that's wrong about this is that, uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we can't choose to confront only Russia or China. It's a false choice, Brian. Uh, we've talked about this before. You can't see this as two different things. These two countries are allies. They're working together. They're best friends. They're on the side of autocracy and repression. We're on the other side. They're helping each other uh, to battle us, and we have to see it as all one connected effort. And it's not as if, if Pelosi didn't go that China would back off Taiwan. No, they're menacing Taiwan anyway. They're they're the aggressor. We're trying to hold the line, not provoke them. And framing it that way just plays, first of all, into Chinese Communist Party propaganda. But it's also wrong because what happened? It didn't start World War III, did it? You know, yes, the Chinese are menacing Taiwan. But as it turns out, they a lot of their threats to uh, confront us or bluster, which if you understood China, you would understand why that is, because Xi Jinping doesn't want a war with America. He wants to take Taiwan. He doesn't want to provoke us either. So, you know, we got to realize that we're a superpower, too, that when the <laughs> Chinese people, I can't believe Party- you just say you realize what you just said. I, I, I sometimes think the administration doesn't understand that or is embarrassed by it. We have to realize we're a superpower, too. Exactly. I mean, who's 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 really setting the agenda here if we're just reacting to the Chinese Communist Party, then we're not doing our job as the leader of the free world. But more importantly, we can't let the real risk of escalation, which we shouldn't ignore, right? We have a crazy counterpart on the side of the Chinese Communist Party. We can't let that paralyze us because then they just do everything and we do nothing. So, you know, this is an old sort of trope in U.S. foreign policy. It goes way, way back. It's sort of like, oh, well, if we just appease aggressive expansionist dictators, uh, everything will be fine. And that never works. It never actually works because they're always emboldened and their appetite grows with the eating. And how many times are we going to have to learn this lesson? And, you know, to tell, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi that, oh, well, we can't poke the bear of, of China. Well, yeah, I get it. China's dangerous. But uh, just letting them run roughshod over Taiwan is not going to get it's going to get you the opposite of what you want, which is a more aggressive more expansion is China that we're just going to have to deal with in a more serious way down the line. So, Josh, a couple of things. When you hear Thomas Friedman, he's, I'm not saying he's not a deep thinker, but he's really getting a message out for somebody. So why is he using the word reckless? Why is he telling us that uh, in that column that we're disappointed that some in the administration are getting really concerned about some of Zelensky's actions in the Ukraine? How could he also talk about and praise China for not helping Russia Uh, During this conflict, when we know they're buying their oil and as Tom Cotton pointed out to me last hour, every time a tech company 
leaves Russia, in comes another tech company from China. So they're not giving a military help, but they are giving other help. But let's go deeper. Why would Thomas Friedman go public with this? Is he doing somebody's bidding? Is it somebody's right. policy? <laughs> well, it's it. You know, I don't not inside Thomas Friedman's, Friedman's but mind. You but you do know his context. Clear. But yet it seems clear that the specific arguments he's making are the exact same specific arguments being made by the Biden White House. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe they just have they ah. both woke up and never talked to each other and just came up with the exact same thoughts in the exact same order with the exact same words. I don't know. Or he might be getting this from the Biden administration. Now, when the Biden administration officials talk to me that they make similar arguments, that's how I know that. But I like to do my own thinking and my own independent. But anyway, the point is that, uh, you know, whether or not he he is carrying water for the Biden administration, uh, what he's doing is he's putting out this uh, message that there's division inside the U.S. ranks when actually the Biden administration, by the time that column came out, had already pivoted. Right. He, they had already come out to say, oh, no, now we support her. And of course, she has the right to go and will take reasonable steps to mitigate the risk, like flying her around the Philippines or whatever and communicating to the Chinese that this is not an intentional escalation. That's what they did. They they came around to the right position. But uh, by the time they got there, Thomas Friedman was still at their old position, which is that she's crazy. OK, now. Again, I don't want to talk, you know, impugn anyone's motives. I can just say that I disagree with Thomas Friedman when he says that China's uh, holding back on supporting uh, uh, Russia in Ukraine as a favor to us. That's not a favor to us. They're doing that because we threaten to sanction them. Okay, they don't want to get sanctioned. They're acting in their own self-interest. In other words, the thing that works against the CCP is coercive pressure and threatening their money, not uh, backing off of their aggression on another front. And that's the conceptual error in Friedman's thinking, I think. Uh, but more broadly, it's just sort of like, okay, well, look what happened two days later. How did that column hold up? Because, uh, you know, she she went there, she left. We're not in World War III. Uh, there, we still have a problem. The problem is China is getting increasingly aggressive over Taiwan. And now we have to deal with that, whether she went there or not. And the Ukraine war is going to go on for years, by the way. Ten years? Five years? I hope not. I hope we give Ukraine the weapons so that they can push Russia out sooner rather than later. But it seems like that's going to be the case, right, Brian? So what are we going to do, not confront China for the next 10 years as long as Ukraine is a frozen conflict? I mean, if you just think about that, it just results in a policy of paralysis, of doing nothing, of retreating from the world and letting the autocrats have their day. And I'm just against that. I know it's not easy. I know the American people are weary of these interventions. But here's the good news. You know, the rest of the world has woken up to these uh, challenges. Now you see Europe actually, you know, increasing its military spending because they're like, oh, my God, Putin's crazy. And you see countries all over Asia rising to confront the CCP threat and trying to help us. And so that's that's the good news. The other good news is it's not really about a military conflict. It's a economic, ideological and technological competition with China foremost. And we need to invest more in all of those areas. So, you know. Everybody, anyone could scream World War Three and say, don't do something. But uh, it's just kind of lazy and it doesn't solve it doesn't get you to what we really need to do to confront these dual and connected threats. I just think there should be a massive Manhattan like project push to get some natural uh, uh, natural gas as well as as well as oil into Europe, because right now Russia, yeah. I think, is foolishly cutting them off because he's going to lose that revenue forever for some massive use. No one's got more natural gas than us, I believe, in the in the world. And I'm wondering, are we doing everything we can to get uh, LNG over to our uh, our most loyal allies in Russia? 
and we could make them customers forever by setting up permanent, ter- permanent terminals there. And all, even environmentalists, if they were being honest and giving sodium pentothal, they know it burns clean. Right. We, there's a million things we need to do. That's one of them, right? Uh, and we and, need and to, then let them build up their defense afterwards. But in the meantime, they want to get through this winter with Russia shutting off the gas. But they're going to lose that revenue. And I, to me, I'm very short-sighted on Russia's part. Right. We need to reduce our dependence on Russia and China and encourage our friends to do the same. And if Russia and China want to increase their dependence on each other, I say good luck to them. You know, how would you like to have that either one of them as your best friend? That's terrible for both of them. So I say if Russia wants to sell its oil to China and China wants to depend on Russia, you know, have fun, guys. We'll be over here with all of the best economies and the best resources and the best uh, uh, societies. And that's the struggle that we're in. It's about whether or not free and open societies can prove to their people that they still are better than the autocracies. I think we need to do more domestically to make that case. But right. uh, if we do that, we should win the day. And, you know, we got to get past the rhetoric into the substance. we got to list the companies with manufacturing in China and talk about the what, what jeopardize our national security. And as much as I love capitalism, there's got to be responsibility with it. And we cannot have all our pharmaceuticals here. We can have we can't have all our chips in Taiwan or anywhere else. There's got to be certain parts of our economy that the free market can't rule the day. And China and the fact is we have all this pushback from these financial behemoths as well as places like Nike that give us a, and and the NBA that give us say forget about ethics. We need to make some money. I think there you can have ethics and capitalism, and I think China should be something we could unify around, Republicans and Democrats. Am I dreaming? No, actually, Brian, not only are you absolutely right, I think it's happening. Slowly, you're right, the, 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 there's a pushback now, especially from Wall Street, from the Chamber of Commerce, and from those who are invested in this idea that making a little bit of money in China right now is more important than preserving our national security, our prosperity, and our freedom in the long term. And that that is a very powerful group of people. But here's the good news. The Chinese Communist Party is making the case uh, for doing more by becoming – I mean, it's not good for the Chinese people, but they're becoming more aggressive, repressive, expansionist and interfering in our societies in all sorts of crazy and malign ways. And even those U.S. businesses who are doing manufacturing in China are starting to wake up to the fact that uh, they haven't they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if they don't really own those factories and anything could happen at any time that they run afoul of the Chinese Communist Party and the Wall Street firms, they know what they're doing. Uh, They know that they're uh, speeding up the funding of our enemy's war machine that's pointed against us with our money. They know that. So in that case, it's going to take the national security community and hopefully Congress and policy makers uh, to stop that against the will of Wall Street because they're not going to adjust even though they know what they're doing is helping our adversary and putting Americans' future at risk. Uh, Josh Rogan, our guest. Josh, uh, this war over in the Ukraine, uh, first off, when when it comes to the HIMARS that are there has been so effective and other things in Kyrgyzstan, which an offensive, which seems to there seems to be an opportunity there for Ukraine to get back on the offensive. Are there disturbing things emerging in the Ukraine in terms of our weapons delivery? Do we know this fulfillment Are these getting to the people that need them? Because if anything's going to undermine you know, the American public support, it's that. You know, the truth is, Brian, that when once we put these weapons into Ukraine, uh, it's 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 a black box. To be to be quite honest, uh, U.S. government really can't track any of this stuff, and that's a problem. Now, you know, uh, 
bipartisan delegation, Representative Mike Waltz on the Republican side and uh, Adam Smith, uh, the head, the Democratic head of the House Armed Services Committee. They went to Kiev and I talked to both of them and they asked Zelensky, what about this? And he said, why don't you put some Americans in the embassy that would help us to get the weapons and it would help you to know that these, we're going to yeah. use these things responsibly and the Biden administration won't do it. OK, so. There is a way to, for more accountability. We need that. You're right. We need to keep the confidence of the American people uh, that their money is being well spent. That's important for the political support for this effort. But I think the main ob obstacle right now is that the Biden administration won't put uh, U.S. forces uh, in an oversight, not a fighting role, just an oversight role in Kiev. Uh, so that's why we don't know what's going on. So I think one of the best things for uh, for America and NATO is the addition of Finland and Sweden. Uh, and it was overwhelmingly voted for uh, positively in the Senate. But Josh Hawley voted against it. Here's why. Expanding NATO will not make America stronger and it will not make America safer. What it will do is commit us to sending more troops and spending more money and devoting more resources to Europe. And frankly, I think that's the wrong choice. I mean, just look at the challenges we face at home with our border and abroad and our uh, overseas. Yes. We're talking about our enemies abroad. Our number one threat is not in Europe. It's in Asia. It's China. And right now, we are not where we need to be to protect ourselves from China's rise, to protect ourselves from China's attempt to take over our economy, to push us around militarily. We're not in position at all. So my view is, Let's focus on the things that really are in America's interest. Let's focus on China overseas. Let's focus on our borders at home. But uh, expanding NATO, it just doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Uh, I disagree to you. Yeah, and uh, also 95 U.S. senators <laughs> disagree. I mean, have you ever seen 95 to 1? No. Right. You know, when I think what Hawley did is he sort of he misread the political wins because when the Ukraine aid bill came up, as you remember, 11 Senate Republicans voted against it, ostensibly for over the oversight reasons that we just talked about. Uh, but on this, it was 95 to one. Right. Because uh, Republican leaders, uh, Republican uh, lawmakers know that in the end, uh, you know, left or right, Democratic or Republican. Public American people understand that NATO is a defensive alliance, that it actually it, it helps us stay out of the war, not get into the war. It's probably the only reason that Russia hasn't attacked us. Uh, your, our European allies is because we have this defensive alliance as a deterrent. So it doesn't make sense on its face. But moreover, you know, as you know, there's a struggle inside the Republican Party over where our foreign policy should be. And I don't know where that's going to uh, end up. And you don't know where that's going to end up. But it's not going to end up on, you know, uh, uh, caving to Russia or China. And it's a false choice. And I, I think most Americans believe that uh, we have to do both. You know, we have to walk and chew gum on this thing. And that doesn't make it easy. And that doesn't mean we can't overreact. But it means that uh, because China and Russia see themselves as allied against us, we have to acknowledge right. that connection. And that's the bottom line. And lastly, Josh, we only have 30 seconds. Uh, but do you believe that Hungary and Turkey and or Turkey will stand in the way of this, this them becoming full-fledged members? In the end, they won't. Hungary and Turkey will are problematic allies. They've always been problematic NATO allies, and they'll always be problematic NATO allies. But in the end, these medium power or small power states uh, are in it for themselves, and they're bargaining for concessions. And uh, that doesn't mean that uh, they're that's a good thing or that they're good allies. It just means that uh, you know we're still the United States. We still have a lot of influence, and uh, when we want to, when we put our minds to getting something done. Uh, we can lead the world, and uh, the, the, our allies and partners uh, can fall in line. Josh Rogan, always uh, educational to talk to you. Thanks so much. Anytime. Uh, back in a moment. 
Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why do you think he's not running? That was just my own personal belief, which I'm not going <laughs> to... Uh, but I, I will support him if he runs. And it's totally his decision. But why do you have that personal belief? Well, we're all entitled to have our own information and our own beliefs. But I will support him if he runs for president. Carol Maloney, who's in a tough primary battle, and the winner of the primary will get the seat, uh, with some upstart as well as uh, Jerry Nadler, two losers who have done nothing but promote themselves and try to impeach presidents. But Carol Maloney just came out during the debate and says, oh, he's not going to run for another second term. And then now that's the only question she gets. All she wants to do is get a few more points from the upper. Is it the Upper East Side or West Side? doesn't matter. They got, all got money. And she's got a lot of power. And her and Nadler got redistricted to fighting with each other instead of moving on or finding a way out of it. Well, stepping aside, Nadler's like 100 years old and he's not healthy. Uh, she sits there and then takes that question. Uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, New York loses either way. Just look at the front page of the New York Post today and see these criminals and see the no cash bail law and, and no Democrat are willing to stand up outside the mayor and said, get rid of it. Change it back to the way it was. Gutless. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. So glad you're here. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.